Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chapter Tactics. Before we begin, I would just like to wish all of the listeners heading off to the end of the introduction a farewell as you click on that timestamp in the comments below on YouTube to completely avoid every bit I say at the beginning of the episode. I still love you. If you're new to this podcast, this is the Warmer 40K podcast that focuses on playing Warmer 40K competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Pablo Martinez. And with me, I have three wonderful regular co-hosts. I've got Scary over from Scardcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chapter Tactics. Mm, beautiful. Mr. Brandon Grant. Good to be back, and welcome back, all our listeners. And then here for two weeks in a row, double helping of Mr. Sean. It's this guy. All right. So today's episode is going to be a sequel to another episode uh, four episodes ago that we had. That episode was called How to Fix the Five Worst Armies in 40K. Turns out when you put your opinion online, people tend to give you their own opinions. And when you have an open mind, sometimes their opinions can be quite valid. So, the five factions that I picked were by picked by many not to be the worst armies in 4K, which is fair. Uh, we were trying to go by a completely unbiased structural method to determine who the worst 40K armies were. It didn't work. That's fair. <laughs> so we're going to do another five armies uh, based off of not only the feedback that I got from the comments, but also... Uh, because I wanted to talk about a few more of these other factions. Because let's face it, GW is really good at making bad armies and making bad units. Really no, good at never, it. never. Yeah. <laughs> They're the best. That's not they, a thing that happens. They get an A+. Plus. It, it, I will say that at least in 8th edition, most units are at least like vaguely playable. Uh, for anyone who's played earlier editions of the game... They've done a lot worse than this. Yes, that is true. That is true. And of course, there will always be ebbs and flows, tiers and good units and bad units. So uh, I don't think you can ever expect any game to truly have a, a perfectly balanced um, set in terms of units and factions. Um, even video games that uh, balance get balanced and patched every day. Uh, There's still always tier lists. There's still always just kind of that ebb and flow of metas. However... There are definitely some factions that we can all agree in the past few years have uh, been a little substandard, and that is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about another five factions. Before we get into that, quick introduction, uh, announcements. First announcement is, if you want to head on over to our Patreon and support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash chapter tactics. You can also find this podcast and all of the rest of the podcasts on the Frontline Gaming Network, uh, your one-stop place for all competitive 40k podcasts and then finally please 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 email us at frontlinegaming.org that's specifically orders at frontlinegaming.org letting us know that you want to buy the indominus crusader box because i think everyone and their mother has already emailed us but i want to make sure <laughs> that we get everyone uh so that indominus crusader box unveiled by gw has not it's pre-order date hasn't been announced yet stores cannot <laughs> order it they cannot pre-order it they can maybe come up with a wishful list 
of people who want to order it. However, due to very, very, very popular demand, uh, we are not going to be accepting uh, super pre-orders or pre-pre-orders on that box. Um, so stay tuned, sign up for that Frontline Gaming newsletter when that item does actually go for pre-order because it is going to sell out fast. And, and that, that doesn't apply to all of us on the podcast. We still get our special super secret privileges. Yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. Your cool. Indominus Crusade box is in the mail right now as we speak. Well, just one or all four of them that I ordered? Uh, I, I actually, what I did was I split up one box into oh, okay, four cool. mini boxes. All right, that's all fair too. then. Yeah. I was just going to split it on eBay anyways. So <laughs> That's true. Uh, and speaking of splitting it on eBay, if you want to sell your half of the Indominus Crusader box, we also have a secondhand shop uh, where if you buy a box and you don't like one half of the factions, you can send us an email and maybe we can come up with a deal. Um, also, let's have a good time. I never, <laughs> I never say that on, on an episode in the introduction, but let's, let's try I mean, to have a good time. Usually it goes without saying. I don't know. I've never had a good time before. I don't know. Is do we have to, or is it optional? It's definitely optional. But mandatory right. episode. Fun time. Mandatory oh, for this episode. Mandatory All right. Fun time. <laughs> um, okay. So if you're interested in um, finding out more about the factions, we do have a list in the comments in the notes. So the five factions are already there. They are in a particular order. Uh, that order isn't necessarily best to worst. Uh, it's just more of like the order I put them in based off of their kind of competitiveness. Uh, however, of course, you can always mix and match, disagree. If you think we didn't add, or if we forgot to add a faction that should have made the, both of the lists, let us know. And uh, let's jump into it first with Drew Kari. Oh, I'm so excited about oh, this. But before <laughs> before we begin, uh, some quick caveats. The The point of this episode is to fix these units and these these factions uh it is not to simply lower points and make small adjustments it's to make overarching game design uh or or suggest to make overarching game design changes to the faction as a whole so that it still performs the way you would expect that faction to perform but better right so one of the cool things i like about warmer 40k is that factions have a feel to them they they, they have fluff revolved around them they have a specific special rules uh faction wide special rules that are not only designed to make the faction playable but also designed to invoke a, a feeling when you play the faction right uh which is one of the most important things in my opinion of game design uh, game design should be intuitive rules should be designed to feel the way they play right flyers should be able to fly over things Sniper rifles should be able to snipe things from a long distance, etc., etc. So we're going to focus uh, specifically on game design and overarching themes, not nitty-gritty points cost details. Although we might jump into that a little bit, because for our first faction, Dark Eldar, we actually have a resident Dark Eldar expert in Skari. So, jumping into it, Skari, with Dark Eldar, where would you put them right now? in terms of where they stand in the competitive meta? Uh, and then where would you kind of grade them over the past few editions? Well, thanks uh, for putting me on the spot there, Pablo. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so the Dark Eldar themselves, you know, they... Let's just say from third edition onwards, so if you're looking at editions past, they were definitely always looked at as like the army that nobody really played and nobody really knew what they did. They... 
had a codex, but their codex was like the models were yeah, okay at best, and they were hard to collect. However, in third edition, a good Dark Eldar player would table someone in three turns. That's what I remember. The oh, yeah. crazy Dark Eldar player would show up, and no one would know what to do about them. No. And you had one raider with Incubi, and a couple of Ravagers. That still hasn't changed. And either a bunch of just foot troops with Dark Lances, or a bunch of guys in vehicles with Dark Lances. And then a crazy Archon that would kill entire squads by himself, zooming around on a jet bike and taking a bunch of drugs. That was that was like how the army played. But the thing is, there wasn't a lot of flavor. It was like you had one sort of build, and if you knew how to play Dark Eldar, you just played that build very efficiently. Um, the Dark Eldar Codex stayed the same for about 13 or 14 years. <laughs> so, there, there wasn't another one. There was not another one, and it was the same models and the same book all through 4th edition. And then... Uh, I believe even almost oh, partially yeah, through a, fifth edition. It, even it was in the, the sixth edition, it was I. Think the it was the second end of to last. It was codex. This, yeah, to a fifth edition. So right yes. before sixth edition, the the codex finally got their rework, and they got a full rework of models and everything. This was about ten years ago or something like that, uh, <laughs> or eight years ago. Actually, no, I got some pictures on my Facebook feed of me building the new Ravagers, and it said nine years mm. ago. Oh, yeah. So, anyway, that's been a long time. So then uh, they got they re- they got a reboot later in 6th edition, once they kind of redid all the armies. And then we basically played with the late 6th edition codex all through 7th as well. Mm-hmm. Now, during that time, I want to say 6th and 7th, there were a couple of like gimmicky lists, but they were mainly used as a add-on to the Eldar or Inari lists that were very, very popular at the time. Um, so in 7th edition and 6th edition, they were, Dark Eldar as a faction were probably sitting at a you know 4 out of 10 or something like that. They were, they were nothing. They were pretty hard to play. Uh, in 8th edition, however, at least in Index 8th edition, they were sitting, you know, about that that same sort of spot. Nothing really crazy. It was just kind of like continuation of seventh. But when their codex came out, they skyrocketed to like a like a nine or an eight, eight point five to nine out of ten scale. They were really good. Talos just started killing everyone, and Venom started popping up everywhere. And it was a, a very entertaining time to be a Dark Elder player. <laughs> And then as the edition has sort of changed and morphed, I feel that in the hands of an experienced player, Dark Eldar still have all the tools to to be at that 7 to 8 out of 10 in terms of competitive sense, but there's a lot of brain power that goes into it. And um, in the hands of a, of a competent average player, they're probably at a 6 out of 10. Yeah, I can't agree more with that assessment. Um, I remember the Dark Eldar book or Jukari book being described as just one of the best written codexes you could ask for when it first came out. But here we are, we find ourselves on the uh, precipice of 9th edition. And yeah, on average, they're about a 6 out of 10 kind of army, very middle of the road at best. And honestly, the last few times I've played middle-of-the-road players running Jukari at tournaments, it's been so ridiculously one-sided because the list is very unforgiving. And if you don't build a list very efficiently, it just falls apart very fast. 
Yes, exactly. And it's and if you make a if you overexpose a unit or you know stay out in the open too much or don't focus your fire or you know don't use like all the cool tricks in the book, you know it's it's hard to really get ahead of some of these very highly efficient, highly damage dealing armies like say, you know, Raven Guard or Iron Hands. Yeah, I think part of the issue that they face is that they're supposed to be this like hard-hitting kind of glass cannon, very fast-moving army. Um, but at this point, you can play Space Marines, which are two or three times as tough, but just as hard-hitting. Um, and oftentimes just as fast also. So it's it's sort of like Dark Eldar have all the disadvantages, but no additional advantage over some of the other hard-hitting armies. Now, that isn't to say they don't have some units that really shine. Um, yeah, I got trashed by a triple, almost max grotesque army, because mm-hmm. it turns out toughness six grotesques with four up and vulnerable saves into Imperial Guard are really good at absorbing battle cannons, demolisher cannons, las guns, you name it. Yeah, they're just so perfectly statted for that, and their damage output is good enough they can chew through Bulgrins by causing mortal wounds. So that list will give a guard list at run for its money. But then you run into a Space Marine list with a Thunderfire Cannon and CP, and um, you'll be lucky if one of those units gets into combat. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with all the sentiments. Um, I think that Dark Eldar, they, they definitely took a step in the right direction, and they were at one point definitely one of the top five best factions in the game. Um, but I think that they suffer kind of from the same thing that uh, Necrons do, in that even when they even when they were at their best uh it really only felt like one or two lists were the list which was the the triple ravager with vect list um some big tough boys in there kind of throwing in there and maybe some flyers um obviously that wasn't the only list that did well however uh, as someone from the outside looking in that felt like what every dark eldar player and every eldar player was running uh, as the edition progressed, they also got their Psychic Awakening booking first in Phoenix, Phoenix Rising. And Sean summed up that entire book for the Dark Eldar with one word. Uh, yeah. They didn't get much from Phoenix Rising compared to other factions. And this was supposed to be their their update, their, you know, their competition with the Space Marine, you know, meta. Um, well, and it just didn't quite deliver. I mean, for a, a couple pretty obvious reasons, like their traits that they got were not great overall. There's some good stuff in there, but they, there's there weren't a lot of like amazing blowouts. But the real kicker, and I think the lesson that GW learned really fast is they didn't get any stratagems, not a single one. Uh, and they shocking. didn't get any relics. They didn't get any warlord traits. They only got the additional updates for their uh, tactics, or obsessions, I suppose they are, Um, and their obsessions were already pretty good. That was not where the Codex was lacking. Um, So that was a real kick in the pants for Dark Eldar. However, we did get a Drazar, and Drazar, updated Drazar, is a a beast. He he will will, will cut things up. He's, He's great. I love him. And I think Drezar shows showcases what they do right with Dark Eldar, which is give them high damage output. Like, Drezar's not particularly tough in the standards of the game, but he will swing on par with almost any other character around. 
So, so as a yeah, so... filthy Imperium player, when I look at Dark Eldar, I see three different factions in one book. There's the regular Drukhari that just seem to be made of tissue paper, but very high shooting damage output. And mm-hmm. then you have the witch cults, which are also made of tissue paper. More, more, more tissue paper. They're like yeah. the, the, the one-ply, cheap, super thin <laughs> well, tissue paper. When your five-up save was just too much, and you needed to tone it down a little bit, go for oh, yeah. witch cults. Yep. So you have paper mache. Now we're on one-ply wet toilet paper with witch cults. But in melee, they're supposed to hit very, very hard and have some tricks like the nets to keep you in melee. We'll come back mm. to that. And then there's the horrific grotesquerie that is um, the homunculus covens. And they're all about, we're not fast. We don't hit particularly hard at range. But our toughness is obscenely high. And we can do decent damage in melee. And that's kind of what the promise of that book is supposed to be from a 10,000-foot view. Do you guys agree with that, number one? And number two... How much does the book actually deliver on what it's promising? Well, uh, um, if you think real space raid, you know, going into like the feel of the faction itself, you know, a real space raid is very much a conglomeration of Drukarian factions kind of all coming together. And they're very stratified within the Dark City where each specific faction has a very particular role in like how everything works. So... In that sense, when they do fight, you know, they kind of all come together as a big horde of stuff and they all are just kind of showing off and, you know, basically going to feast and whatnot. Um, and I feel they did a good job in splitting up the, the, the factions in that sense. It's one of the things that I think give the Dark Eldar Codex currently the, its most flavor. And I do like that as a player, I can pick and choose elements from all these different obsessions that sort of change how the list plays in a lot of ways uh like it new their nuance changes which can adapt to Mm. like your play style or your local meta or things like that and there's enough there are enough options in there that it allows you to really mix and match to sort of fine tune a list you know where you're taking uh Prophets of flesh to just make sure you're really tough coven or you want shooting coven so you take now with psychic awakening dark techno monster like uh, Kronos, for example, that you know, with good rolling, will kill a knight in a single round of shooting. You know, it's it. There's there's some crazy, like variety in there, and I think that's that's something that's really good about the faction. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Sean. Oh, I was gonna say to uh, to Brandon's question. I think that for the most part, the three sub factions of the Dark Eldar do what they're supposed to. You can there's some argument about witches. I think they need a few more tricks and shenanigans to really make them work. Um but with shardnets and whatnot, they're at least kind of like getting close to there. Um my problem with the design of the faction is that they don't necessarily mesh very well. Um you know, you we talked about like you know all three of them will sort of fight together, except that they really don't very well in the actual 40k game. Like you're often incentivized not to bring the, all three of them together because they do very different things, and you're really just splitting your strengths at that point. So there's not really a um uh sort of a stacking benefit to taking multiple factions. 
No, not for the most part. I mean, you can make an argument for two, but I have trouble conceiving of a Dark Eldar list that actually wants to bring all three of the sub-factions, and that feels like kind of a a, a bit of a tragedy, like, well, you should want will, to do that. I will interject here. I did, I went, I base, I won two GTs before COVID with a triple-faction Dark Eldar list. Oh, really? Witch Cult, Coven, and, um, and uh, Cabal. And I found that um, with with tweaking, they did fill specific roles within the the Mm -hmm. list itself where it was diverse enough that it gave me the tools that I needed in a very, like, possess bomb meta, essentially, and, like, crazy space marine meta. Well, actually, Scary, why don't you tell us the units that you took that performed well? Because we're talking about five worst factions, and here you are winning an event with this. (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on. Because before, before but I, the at the here. same time, we're talking like we're looking at okay. As an average player, you take the list that I played, and it yeah will <laughs> probably not work for you. It's because okay. it has a lot of nuance to it, and it's definitely very fragile and relies a lot on understanding deployment and target priority and like a, a variety of different factors. But as a as a as a as a as an army itself is definitely would be something that you know what it'd be cool if you could pick something like that and put it on the table and fix it so that it is more viable for the average player that wants to just pick up some cool space pirates and go and like you know gun down an imperial guard like detachment or something yeah so what i'm hearing is i'm super skilled with this army i understand everything you can possibly know about how to play this army if anyone else played it they deploy slightly wrong and they just get tabled turn three. Yeah, yeah that's and that's 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 a very real thing that a lot of Dark Eldar players um, will have experienced at some point in their like playing Dark mm-hmm. Eldar career, whether they it's the first time they play against triple Riptide Tau or you know six suit commander Tau or you know. Um, like the possess bomb, which is like it just rushes into your face, or a guard gun line, or you know, you name it. Okay, because now I'm coming up with what sorts of things are lacking and how can we improve upon them. Because you gave me an idea. You were saying everyone is kind of competing with each other on the table. They're not really working together as a unified whole. It's a competition, and I'm not really hearing anything in the rules that reflects that. Um, but what would you suggest that's missing currently that those kinds of rules interactions that are closer to the fluff that could help them work on the table and be a more forgiving army to play? From a game development perspective, you know, Dark Eldar, if you, you know, a lot of the things that we did, I used to work in marketing. But if you, if you think of a brand, you know, normally you can describe a brand by one or two words that will explain the feeling and sort of like the general outlook of the brand itself hmm. right so if so if i were to say coca-cola or i would say nike or i would say any of these big brands you could tell me with you know one or two words what the brand is so what's the brand on dark eldar exactly when when you say when when i say dark eldar tell you know each of you give me one word that would describe the faction well, I, I'm thinking hedonistic pirates. No, no, one word. <laughs> Ra- raiders. Okay. Raiders. I would go with sadistic. I okay. think that's their, their core identity. Okay. 
Um, I would go with um, untrustworthy. Okay, so that from a fluff point, definitely untrustworthy, sadistic, humanistic. I'm in a gameplay style or in how they would react. Um, I'm thinking speed. Mm-hmm. Oh right. yeah, speed, speed, right? Surprise, right? Shadows, right? Like they, they, they are supposed to come out in like a locust style attack on your planet, and in the matter of hours, take every single living being on that planet that isn't dead back to the dark city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the been... most terrifying thing about them is that you don't know that they're coming until they're there. They're there, and then all of a sudden, like, and and in the story, you read it, you know, the Dark Eldar spent years, centuries, planning real space raids. And they'll Mm -hmm. go in, and they'll just, they'll execute this real space raid in the matter of a very, very little span of time, where the Imperium can't react, can't do anything. They come in, they take what they want, they leave. Yeah, and they have have, uh, agents and resources, tons of them that they need to, to make that happen. Um, the other thing that I love about the Dark Eldar, and I, I think is really part of the Dark Eldar sad aesthetic, is, uh, I don't want to say capitalism, but riches, right? They have these cabal cities, these giant hidden treasures of, of technology, and, and, you know, you have an entire unit devoted to just, like, rich people. They're like rich chats <laughs> with melted guns and, and wings. It's like an entire <laughs> army of flash gets... Yeah, 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 and that's the scourges, right? So, um, we we kind of we have their identity set. So I, I kind of want to move this forward a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. What do you What do you think? And anyone can answer this. What do you all think uh, are some things that the Dark Eldar faction needs to kind of make that come into fruition? Like that that kind of aesthetic and feel. I think they need to be faster. Um right now we see the downside of them a lot like they have weak armor they're not well protected etc we don't actually see very much of the upside because like yeah they're technically a little bit faster than standard eldar but not all that much it's like a wave serpent moves 16 it's not like dark eldar are actually any faster than that um I feel like they should emphasize the the speed because they've already emphasized the lack of protection. Um, so, I mean, let a raider move 20 inches. They're fast. Let them be fast. Right. You know, right now there's the ability to, say, use the enhanced sail stratagem, right? You can sure auto-advance eight, but that's one raider, right? Yes. You know, so another thing is Dark Eldar ultimate masters of surprise they hit yeah. you first no matter what so having a mechanic <laughs> having oh no a mecha- oh no you're, are, you're not gonna curse them with the they, horrible always strikes first mechanic no, are you no no go, okay no. good they they should be the attacker more often than not like yeah, in, in a sense in a sense when you know when there's sort of an attacker and defender dark eldar mm-hmm. should have the ability to hit you first if you wanted to really kind of bring that feel to the table I mean, between the, everyone here, what I'm hearing is essentially Gene Stealer cult from the warp. Like, they just come out of the webway right behind you, and you have no chance to react. They're on you. Yeah, a lot of the times they'll come in, like, the webway gates will be up in the sky or whatever, and they'll just kind of come down. But being able to, say, put webway portals down or to, mm-hmm. you know, have a specific point of the table, and essentially you can keep your army in reserve, and everybody comes in turn one. 
and then you just have to move in from a certain point and just kind of rush the opponent or have you know a specific like um uh bonus points for you know capturing enemy characters and getting command points for killing characters or things like that that's all yeah. true. The, what I'm hearing essentially is a gene stealer cult like deployment where <laughs> yeah. you don't actually know where the Dark Eldar are when you put your models down, and then they go and put their models on the table. Like they're ambushing you every time. I think that could be a good option, although I'm not sure that's necessarily like the core identity of the faction. Like surprise can be achieved in lots of different ways other than just hidden information. Well, correct. Uh, what, I'm, the, what I'm saying is more than just surprise is they should have the first shot. Yeah, because they're coming at you. They're coming I, at you, and they're going to shoot you because okay. you're not so going to be able to shoot them back. More CP-based abilities that allow them to start off the table, that allow them to come in from reserve uh, anywhere they want. Uh, abilities that allow them to complete charges from reserve. Um, mm -hmm. Abilities that allow them to hit really hard on the turn they arrive at close range. Um, ambushing type type stuff. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you know cool. where your opponent has to sort of take that initial punch, and then if they can withstand the punch, then the fragility of the Dark Eldar comes into play. And you know what I mean. But your opponent has to plan for that initial hit by the Dark Eldar, and then then you can push back into into the game. I agree. Mm -hmm. I think I think Dark Eldar do need a little more reserve manipulation besides the generic Eldar webway portal strat, which all yeah. Eldar have. Uh, maybe some outflanking. One other cool thing I loved about Dark Eldar in Fifth Edition, that I, uh, which is a and now you know defunct, extinct Dark Eldar character, R.I.P. Baron. Uh, yeah, the yeah. Baron w felt to me felt very much like how a Dark Eldar character should feel. You know, he was pretty okay in combat. He wasn't like a Lilith at the time, um, but that hit and run, the fast character that hit, you very much felt the Baron's presence on the 5th edition battlefield, you know, it was also very slippery. Um, unfortunately, the Dark Eldar lost the Baron um, in the, the great um, modeling, model ripping of uh, GW. Anyway, I don't know what you call it. Point is yeah. that uh, the, he's gone. He was a cool character. Uh, and I actually think the Dark Eldar, uh, like the Necrons, like the Space Marines, do really... I feel like one of their strengths is also their characters. Uh, they have a lot of these really good iconic characters in Lilith, in uh, Drazar, in um, who's that guy that named the stratagem after? He's like the king of the Dark Eldar, but he kind of sucks. Vect. Oh, uh, that is that his name? Vact? Vex. <laughs> <laughs> the point. <laughs> you know, next time you roll that one, and you need to re-roll it into not a one. You know, Vect is gonna come bite you in the butt, buddy. <laughs> Uh, He's been waiting joking, for that moment. <laughs> joking aside, they have they have this core group of agents, of characters, of heroes that I also don't see a lot on the tabletop. Um, you know, where's like my John Grammaticus hero? Where's my super secret assassin spy? You know, the only people that currently have actual assassins are the Imperium, even though the Dark Elder, I would argue, are probably better at the officio assassinorum's job than the officio assassinorum we the dark eldar that. would assassinate a governor have a dark eldar take his place by turning into that that governor by growing him into somebody who looks like the governor only <laughs> to totally 
you know, mess up the, the kind of like Gene Sealer cult style, as you were saying. Um, I think a mechanic that deals with command point manipulation would be good. Oh, yeah. That'd be yeah. I, I would like a little bit more out of that aspect yeah, of that. Yeah, that's them. the treachery side that comes into play where they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, that officer, he's not going to show up to this battle. Yeah. Oh, uh, oh I, you thought I your fancy they... relic was going to be was going to be useful this game or well, we switched it for a piece of paper. <laughs> Th- that would be an amazing strat. Spend a CP to turn a relic into a mundane equivalent. <laughs> go, go ahead, Sean. Uh, I was going to say I speaking of like the Dark Eldar characters, they do have some really cool ones, but their generic HQ choices are often very lackluster in terms of um, customization and sort of like interesting equipment. Like more often than not, they're just kind of like standing around handing out an aura rather than actually getting to like dive into fights and do a lot. Hmm. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, I think think their generic characters are also lackluster. lackluster. Um, All right. I know we could talk about Dark Elder for an entire One more thing before we close. (laughs) All right, Brad, they need to change how their shooting attacks work. They're all all or nothing. It's either a dark lance or a poison shot, oh. and nothing in between. Yeah, they they have a severe problem with only having two gun stat lines in the entire book. Please, uh, please, because, please add some auto cannon yeah. equivalents other than on the Razorwing jet fighter with its poison missiles to yeah. the codex. Please, please. still poison. You know, which <laughs> just still right. poison essentially. <laughs> they they, they okay. need a third like in between profile. Uh, it's either plasma bolts of death or poison that bounces off your armor, right? So there's there's like the two. Yeah. There's, can, there's can we the get some strength extremes. six or seven AP two damage two weapons, please? <laughs> yeah. All right. I th- I think I think that's good. I think. And before we, we move on, I have to. Changes. I just have to interrupt. <laughs> and then you, one Pablo. more thing. And one more thing. Bring back combat drugs for my archon. Oh yes, because yes, please. your archon should be able to go around being like, I want to feel boop boop boop. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I think I think that's good. I think we've been with those changes. I think Dark Elder get pushed more in the right direction. Uh, let's move on to the second faction we have on the list, and that is uh, probably the most controversial faction on this list, and orcs. So I picked orcs uh, for two reasons. One, I feel like they also suffered the same way Dark Eldar did, and that they, at the beginning of 8th edition, were really strong, and then got relegated to that mech gun list that we saw at the LVO. Uh, They're still not bad. I actually think that they're the best faction, or the best faction in this top five list. Um, Although Dark Eldar have a little bit better, I think, of a um, codex. But orcs are they're they're an interest they're in an interesting spot. Um, let's talk about what a, an orc the faction feels like. So first and foremost, we have Waz. We have these big blob, you know, armies that are supposed to ju- blot out the sun, come down, and just cause a never-ending war, uh, and then eventually break you down through attrition or or whatever have you orkiness. Um, and I actually think they do a good job of this in the Codex, with the exception of the mob ability. So I, I want to talk about that for... Actually, let's talk about where they are right now in the meta before we go into that. So uh, anyone can start this. Where, according to you, where do orcs stand right now, and where did they stand in the past? I'd say they're definitely still in the top 50%. Um, 
I don't think they're like a fa a meta defining faction anymore, uh, like they were at a couple points during Eighth Edition. But you know, you can't expect that to last forever. Um, no, no faction stays on top for an entire edition, except for occasionally Eldar during Sixth and Seventh. <laughs> Uh, okay. I think uh, orcs themselves right now, you, you're you seeing like the same sort of thing over and over. That's what they suffer from at the moment. They just have the capacity to be awesome. However, playing with orcs, you have to be okay. And this is, I think, competitive sense terrible with things being random. And Games Workshop have mm. a... Have, have a love for orcs, but they love to make orcs totally random where it counts. And a lot yeah. of the times, as a competitive player, it can be very hard to, you know, have the, you know, you want them to do something, and you have a plan set up, and then the random kicks in, and you're like, well, that's not going to work. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, I think that. Oh, good, Sean. I was going to say, they've steered away from that more in recent books. Um, you know, it still exists to some degree, but you're no longer, like, roll d6 on the table to find out how many of your own units this destroys before you get to attack with it. <laughs> Good old um, animosity table. Anybody remember right. that from Warhammer Fantasy? Oh, man. <laughs> yep. Uh, but, yeah, it, now it's down to stuff like Ludas. Is like, okay, they roll d3 for number of shots, and, yeah, that can really swing your turn, but... Uh, it's not as though it's not mitigatable or that it's the entirety of your army is having to cope with that. I will say that Psyche Wigny for Orcs did inject yeah. some really cool oh, yes. things into the faction. However, then pandemic hit and that, and we didn't really see the impact that it could have had on the meta at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about what their, basically what their their identity is right now so i the way i see it orcs kind of have three identities um they have the kind of elite you know get in your face and and eat you kill you with these powerful characters these powerful melee units uh they have this kind of like go big or go home you know weight of fire weight of bodies kind of thing with the the ludas the orc boys the gretchen mech guns where you can just spam and lots and lots of models and then they have this kind of uh, I don't want to. It feels very pushed. It, the speed freaks vehicle kind of heavy list, which which I feel like they really pushed hard for a, almost two editions now, and mm. it just it hasn't gone anywhere. Well, I guess one edition. Speed freaks was was a seventh, late seventh, early eighth. I don't remember. Was it eighth edition? Uh, I'm speed not freaks sure was all the way back in third edition. Yeah, yeah. that's true. The speed freaks were a third edition thing, and then they the red paint got taken away. And then they kind of added them. The point is, is that orcs have these wacky vehicles. And for the longest time, for as long as I've been playing, it's always felt like not every orc style of army was playable. It was always one or the other. It was always either you could play no. hordes, green tide, but vehicle spam sucked and close it, combat sucked. But, but that's just the meta. Pablo, like not all armies are going to be good at all times, and that's sure, just kind of sure. the reality of it. Um, we can try and balance them out, but I think orcs more than most factions suffer from sort of the ups and downs of the meta because, like, orcs are very much defined by being a horde, and if hordes are good, 
orcs are good, and if hordes are bad, orcs are usually bad. Yeah, what I'm hearing is that the units that orcs have that are based around hordes are very good. So even just common Gretchen are really good with their strat to absorb bullets. Yeah. Um, whereas their vehicles are just mediocre. So something like a Gorkonaut, on paper, it looks really terrifying, but then you see it on the table for its cost, and it eats a few las cannons and dies turn one, and you're like, well, that was expensive. So yeah, kind the, the of. resilience for the infantry is there in a way where you just combine custom force fields with a pain boy, and suddenly the orcs are actually fairly resilient. But their vehicles really can't get there in terms of the combination of being able to hide behind terrain, have reasonable firepower, reasonable cost that Guard, for example, can bring to the table. So you compare a Layman Rust battle tank to any vehicle that an orc is going to bring, the battle tanks are going to outshoot every single orc vehicle that they can bring. Yeah. I'm not sure if I 100% agree with that. I've been on the receiving end of uh, Ben Jurek's orc vehicle list several times. It's a very strong list. Oh, yeah. If you it take the uh, 18 smash a gun list. Yeah, Ben no, is also he, a very good player. He only, he only runs like three to six of them in a lot of versions. I'm not talking about like smash a gun lists. I'm talking about vehicle lists. Yeah, I've yeah. seen his list too. They're actually really cool. I got to play Ben, and yeah. he totally changed my mind on what orcs can do with their vehicles. Yeah. But the resilience, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's okay, still kind resilience of a in list. their vehicle list is certainly not their strongest point. Like, they're obviously not going to be as resilient as some other vehicle-based lists can be, but I don't think it's necessarily in flavor for them to be, like, max resilience. Uh, they Orcs tend to have resilience through numbers is often their strategy, and that but, is sort of borne out by just having, like, a bunch of kind of crappy cheap vehicles. But on a game design perspective... A layman Russ is actually a very well-designed shooting vehicle, because if it now, moves yes. half speed or less, <laughs> it still shoots its turret weapon without a hit penalty, and in the future, all vehicles won't take a hit penalty. So that's right. actually going to be huge for orcs, because it'll allow them to put their smash guns out of line of sight, move so that they have line of sight to their target, and still shoot without penalty, which is going to be a huge bonus in ninth edition. A welcome yeah. one, because again, orcs have a very low ballistic skill, so moving and hitting from a 4-plus to a 5-plus, or from a 5-plus to a 6-plus, is just not good. It's not going to be good game design to have that occur, so ninth edition is already going to be alleviating that somewhat. But to be more specific then, mm -hmm. if we have pretty solid, in my opinion, in our opinion it seems, infantry, and we're heading into a meta where the infantry is less important to have 200 of them on the table, then what changes could we make to the orc vehicles to make them more relevant in ninth edition, especially the speed freaks? Well, in terms of like changes, I think, um, like, you know, the ramshackle rule that the trucks have, mm -hmm. you know, something along those lines, but across most vehicles or the ability to basically yeah. have vehicles degrade less often for example, because you're just blowing chunks off that don't really matter. Or or have them degrade in a different way than typical vehicles do. Um, because I know DW kind of likes to standardize the degrading charts, and that's definitely a good thing in a lot of ways. Um, but if orc vehicles didn't degrade speed as much as other vehicles did, I think that would benefit them a lot. 
um, because that's in many cases their main purpose is to get around the battlefield quickly, either to deliver troops or to deliver firepower. I really like um, that, actually, because their vehicles are already kind of held together with wishes. So yeah. it makes sense that they wouldn't degrade very much when you put a few extra holes in them. I, I do actually really like Scarry's idea of the uh, just sort of like giving out that ramshackle rule that uh, for those who aren't familiar, I, I believe it's like you roll a die and on a something plus it just reduces the damage of an attack to one. Um, that's very thematic because like you're you're just sort of like, you know, your las cannon punches through the orc vehicle and there's nothing there to hit. Um but also mechanically, it is actually very effective in sort of encouraging specific kinds of firepower against them and making them very distinct from an imperial yeah. vehicle. And it's very thematic when you're like, the engine is usually in the center and the orcs are like, we just strapped it to the roof because that's where it goes, yeah. right? The engine is the nine orcs behind it pushing it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, that would be a, a good start there. Sorry, go ahead. Okay. Paul. Oh, so I want to talk about the, the second orc list. So we. For a while, we in Eighth Edition we had the I, I think one of the more prototypical styles of orc lists, so maybe almost the way GW intended orcs to be played. We had big blobs of orcs backed by characters, maybe a vehicle or two, some shooting. Um, but I really, really liked the orc lists two years ago, the ones that like Richard Kilton was running, Ben Jurek was running. Um, <clears throat> but I feel like orc lists have since moved away from that, and obviously with Saga of the Beast coming out. Uh, the timing that it has, we don't have a clear snapshot of what orcs look like now. So, with this kind of uncertainty in mind, is there anything you would do or want to change about the core idea of orcs as a faction as a whole to make them play in a, a different style or more optimal style? I think uh, we could... Sorry to interrupt there. No, um, no it's fine. I think if you... Like the optimal orc style is the ability to use giant units, but effectively get them across the table and do the damage once they arrive. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, I think that was always kind of how I always saw orcs, and the very first orc lists I played were green tide lists. Uh, if you remember the green tide formation in sixth edition. Uh, where basically it was just one giant unit of uh, 100, 200 boys. And it <laughs> ran at you, and you killed a bunch of them, and you hoped that they they, they didn't kill you. Um, which, which is very much a kind of theme and style that they should be playing, uh, because it's very quirky. But we don't have that anymore. And I think for good reason. I, I think actually the large unit, the green tide unit, was actually really bad for the game. Um, because it, it didn't there wasn't a lot of interaction. Uh, you essentially, uh, it was a either one or you lost, kind of an all or nothing kind of strategy in that you could either kill this horde or you didn't and it got to you and it killed you. What would you, how would you want to change the, the, the way the horde orc list plays without actually perpetuating that kind of style? Uh, it's, I think it's I, tough. I, I, I think I'd want to make it so that the boys themselves um I don't know, you can spend 50% more on a unit than it normally costs, but the first time it dies, it comes back in from reserve through a teleporter. Um, so you start with fewer models and you have fewer models overall or something. I don't know, 50% is probably too little, but you get what I'm saying where you encourage the, the feeling of multiple waves of en enemies, 
but you don't have movement trays to have 200 orcs start in your deployment zone turn one. Hmm. So uh, incorporate more reserve elements. Like orcs are supposed to get to a planet and like propagate and promulgate and essentially be all over the place. And by the time they attack you, they've literally come out of the woodwork. And like, how the hell are there so many orcs all of a sudden everywhere? Another thing they like doing is like, they, if they have spaceships, they'll legitimately just drive them directly into your planet. Yeah, that's the thing. You just get a mass driver and throw a meteor, I mean, spaceship into a city and level it. Um, but they already have the green tide, and the green tide is actually a very well-balanced yeah. ability. Um, but it would be nice to keep being able to do it and invest reinforcement points in it, but be rewarded somehow rather than encouraged to just start all your boys on the table and push them mm. across the table with a broom until your opponent either kills them or you table them. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I want to pitch something, an idea to you all. Uh, and it actually comes from um, a video game uh, gameplay. And that's recently, if you played a game called Total War Warhammer 2, uh, which if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll know that I, I've taken a liking to recently. I've been playing a lot of it. Uh, the orcs in Total Warhammer 2 had had a kind of problem where they were very outdated. Um, they were a very bad faction, and they got fixed in this update and got a lot better. They're obviously not perfect, but one of the f- updates they changed uh, to the orcs was they gave each orc unit the ability for a little bit of customization. Um, and these orcs in in fantasy, they they're supposed to you know like win the battle and then they, they're supposed to spend time on the battle looting and 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 then you know upgrading themselves with weird trinkets or whatever and that gave each orc unit kind of their own special unique flavor or ability um i actually think that if gw pushes elite orcs more um you'll get a lot more interesting design in the units and also a lot more flexibility in the faction and how it plays as a whole so how would you feel if there was uh, maybe a stratagems uh, similar to what the Tyranids had in mutations or some sort of rules that let you pick an orc unit and buff it just a little bit. So you could say like, these guys are extra shooty. They're the da shooters or whatever. And they, they maybe they rapid fire at max distance, like bolters instead of a half distance or, or whatever. Uh, so basically like regiments of renown, something like that. Yeah. More specifically Which... the scrap mechanic, but good. Well, what you're describing is actually very close to something that already exists in the form of the uh, Ard Boys and I forget mm-hmm. what the Goffs one that gives the plus one strength is called. But, Scar Boys. Uh, Scar Boys, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, like that already essentially exists for Orc. If they were just to expand it a little bit, uh, that could be an interesting way to offer some like limited customization. Well, they um, like it, an Orc would be like, this knob has a name, and his band of boys that hangs out with him are like known as this knob's name's boys, right? right. So they would literally fight very similar to how the knob is like, kind of urging them mm-hmm. to do to do the the kind of sounds stuff. like you take a warlord trait and three units that the war boss picks also benefit from his warlord trait, whatever that happens to be. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. 
Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. Yeah, something yeah, like that. Be. Um, anyways, uh, that's just a thought. Uh, you know, I just adding a little bit of um, personality to and uniqueness while also being able to balance specific units. Like uh, mm-hmm. if there's an underperforming unit, like knob squads, for instance, knobs are generally really bad. Um, they're expensive. They're not very good. They're, I don't really see them taken very much. But if you had an ability to give them, um, I don't know, plus one move, advance and charge or, or whatever, um, you know, I'm not an orc expert. But uh, you get the point. A minor buff to knobs that doesn't cost anything that gives both the really competitive top-end players the flexibility to do really well with little tiny, you know, intelligent picks to their lists. And also giving the the fluffier players who just want to wah and have a great time um, the ability to option, like, customize their army and have fun. Anyways. Yeah. Personally, the thing I am most concerned with looking at 9th edition for orcs is uh, blast weapons. Um, If every blast weapon is getting max hits against basically every orc unit, that could be a real harsh penalty for them unless there is some other balancing factor in there, which admittedly we don't actually know what all the rest of the edition is like, so maybe there is. Um, But looking at what we've seen so far, that's definitely a concern I would have. All right. Uh, we're going to have to move on. We're running out of time, so we're going to have to move oh, on to the next right. faction. Uh, the next faction is going to be but Death Watch. But Orcs are so fun. Orcs are great. But in uh, essence, <laughs> make their vehicles a bit bit better than they are now, probably on the resilient side. I like the scrap rule or the ramshackle mm-hmm. idea. And then make their infantry more interesting so you don't have to take 200 of them at the same time. I like time. that. That's a good summary. There you go, Brandon. All right. Death Watch is number three. Let's talk about Death Watch. They were probably mm. the most mentioned faction when we made the original list, uh, for good reason. Uh, I omitted them because of their their tournament uh, production in Australia and in Eighth Edition in general. Um, they definitely are a dark horse, un- underpowered faction, though. Uh, ever since their inception, when Death Watch first came out with Gene Steeler Colt, for the longest time, Gene Steeler Colt were actually okay, and Death Watch were really bad. Um, and they have since been elevated from really bad to average. Um, so let's talk about Death Watch. What are, where do they stand right now? Where do you think they might stand in Ninth Edition? Uh, and what do you, what are the kind of core aspects of the faction as a whole? think their big problem is that they don't have a very strong identity at their most basic level. They are yet another variety of somewhat more elite than Space Marines Space Marines, um, of which there are like six different versions of in the game. And that means they really struggle to have a niche. It's like, oh, they're the anti-infantry firepower ones. Yeah, so are Grey Knights. Um, well, they're, you know, they hate Xenos. Well, everyone hates Xenos. Uh, so I, I feel like they struggle to have an identity, even within the context of the game uh, and the narrative both. Mm-hmm. I agree. 
I do. I, I, when I think of them, if we're doing the brand name thing, I think of um, precise exterminators. Like their core rule seems to be trying to say this particular class of units, we're going to delete this turn. We're not going to be able to do much to anything else, but we're going to delete these units. But um, whether or yeah. not that actually occurs on the table, most of the time, what they really end up doing is just taking 200 bolter shots that arrive from Deep Strike and remove uh, 100 boys from the table turn one. Yeah. Yeah. Which admittedly is somewhat thematic for them, but it's not it's not really like having super efficient firepower is not really an identity. <gasps> Yeah, I agree. I, I actually think, um, so when Death Watch first came out, I was very, very disappointed with their design in general. So I actually think Death Watch need to be kind of remade or reimagined from the ground up, starting with their unit options. Their their unit <laughs> options are so limited. They have such few unit options. Their kill team is supposed to be this like catch-all troop choice. Like, ah, oh, don't worry. We didn't think up, we didn't think up any reasonable amount of troop choices for this faction you're going to do it for us please so i actually think the first thing um death watch should get access to is every other space marines elite choices or at least some of them right so like imagine being able to take a death company death watch or uh a wolf scouts death watch i'm not talking about like the entire range but uh, being able to pick and choose units from all the other space marine factions to kind of customize your army list a little bit more might be a step in the right direction well but you can already do that you know you can just use the the uh, astartes keyword to take all of those in the same detachment and that basically gets you what you're describing i don't feel yeah, like that's something that allies. is going to yeah it doesn't i don't feel like that's something that makes death watch unique um, and you do certainly run the risk of just kind of like, they have all the best stuff that every space marine has. Why would you play anyone else? Um, I have been impressed with sometimes when, uh, Death Watch teleports in a Leviathan Dreadnought from Deep Strike. <laughs> that I mean, or, there's some, there's some good stuff they can that. <laughs> That's pretty clutch to have that thing show up on your front line. Oh, man. For, for yeah. Well, and they have, like, their unique flyer that everyone has forgotten exists because it has always been a total garbage airplane. Um, Sadly. I it's know trying we're not... to do too much at once. Yeah, it suffers from the classic GW uh, design problem of, like, they just threw a bunch of random guns onto it and then gave it a transport capacity, so it does, like, six things really poorly. Um I know we're not talking specifically about price, but that thing is abominably priced. Um, it has never been... I don't think it's ever been within 50 points of being playable. Um, oh, that's some pretty... But, uh, that's a pretty intense it, scrutiny there. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, it's not I, I agree. It's it's really... It, okay, but, but the Space Marines have always had kind of a long list of, of subpar large vehicles. So yeah. I'm willing to write off the, the Corvus Black Star as the Storm Fang or Land Oh, you Raider remembered its name. Storm I didn't. Of, so, of the, uh, yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing. We're, we're very good at describing all these things that Death Watch is lacking. I definitely feel like one of Death Watch's strengths should be their teleportation mobility. Because like Dark Eldar, sure. the Death Watch just teleport into your face when you're least expecting them and just slay all of the Xeno supporters they can find. That's kind of their shtick. So 
I don't know. Blood Angels, for example, have access to the abilities to get uh, pregame moves or 3d6 rerollable charges, um, bonuses on the charge. So something like that for Death Watch, where they have these melee specialists as well as their bolter specialists with melee weapons that are tailored mm. to certain foes. Like, um, I, I think they have access to those two-handed thunder hammers still that are strength 10. Mm-hmm. Those things are yeah. nasty. Yeah. Um, yeah. So using those as one of the tools that they can do to take down vehicles in a turn where they get a bonus against vehicles or whatever the target of the, that they've chosen for that turn, in theory, all of that should be great. It's like, okay, the Watchmaster says we need to take down all these knights. Okay, we're going to take down all these knights with our teleporting thunder hammers that get rerollable charges. And, um, you know, that all sounds really cool for Death Watch and separates them from some of the other Marines without too mm-hmm. much overlap into Blood Angels, but some overlap into Blood Angels. I think... I um, feel... Oh, sorry, sorry. I think not only... They have, like... Okay, right now they have stratagems that are really cool to kind of, like, use against specific um, specific opponents, for example. You know, they have, uh, like, faction-specific stratagems. And I think that could maybe go to, like, squad specializations, like a squad that's really mm-hmm. good against... Dark Eldar or Eldar, a squad that's specialized against Necrons, you know, that sort of thing. I love the sound of that because you can say, okay, I'm playing um, a horde list this game. I'm going to make this squad an anti-horde specialist permanently. So they always have sixes to hit into units of 10 or more models are an extra hit. That's that's really cool if you can just tailor your squads before the game begins by spending CP that way. So you're thinking a game-by-game thing as opposed to, like, a uh, part of an army list purchase. Well, you could definitely balance it around a list purchase. I mean, again, Blood Angels, you can give uh, the Death Company keyword to characters for a command point during the list-building phase. So being able to do something similar during the list-building phase with Death Watch would be super interesting. Yeah. Uh, One other thing. So... To kind of move on from from this, also one thing, one faction I always compare Death Watch to is Grey Knights. Grey Knights and yeah. Death Watch are supposed to be very similar in terms of their role. Uh, both are these elite, badass Space Marine factions, basically ordered around by the Inquisition, uh, that are supposed to be highly specialized. The thing is, is Grey Knights are actually, especially now with their update, are actually dis- doing what they're designed to do. Grey Knights are really good; they're a really strong faction right now. Death Watch or not. Death Watch also got a really bad psychic awakening, especially compared mm-hmm. to Grey Knights. Um, then again, so Death Watch we... do have some very particular armies that they are really good at. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's they'll, the other thing, they'll too. They'll destroy orcs. They'll destroy they... grotesques and Talos. Like, yes. boss. Yes. Yeah, yeah they, have, they have very specific... Uh, they have a very specific build that just demolishes very specific factions or our army lists in particular mm-hmm. um which i don't actually think mean makes makes them a very healthy faction or puts them in a healthy spot no, absolutely and, not um so comparing them to their their kind of closest space marine counterpart in gray knights uh gray knights have better characters uh the death watch their characters are very very underwhelming they don't have a customize i guess they have captains yep. you can customize maybe you can't put them on bikes or jump packs i think or you, uh, no, you can get Artemis. a captain equivalent with a jump pack, but not sure. the chapter master equivalent. Sure, uh, and then the the watchmaster is is uh, laughably mediocre 
model. He's just not good. Yeah. Um, so I would like to see a little bit more in the HQ slot for Death Watch. Uh, but also, what if... And this is something I think they should have done with Grey Knights too. What if you just throw in Inquisition into Death Watch and make it an Ordo Xenos faction? You'll get yeah. uh, cheaper troop choices in Acolytes and Crusaders, maybe, if you want to make them troop choices. Uh, you get more customizable HQ choices. Uh, and, and you get kind of, I think, a more complete faction codex than what Death Watch currently have. Um, yeah, just, I would definitely like to see them roll the Inquisition back into the other Inquisitional factions rather than being their own thing. I think it makes them more interesting and a little more flexible overall. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I, I it also fixes another faction that people have been asking about that didn't make this list, not because it's not one of the five worst armies, but because it's not a real army, and yeah. that's Inquisition. <laughs> They're not a real faction. I am so sorry. There's also why Inari didn't come on here. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, um, is there anything else we want to add about Death Watch? And any anything else? I think that um, yeah. any faction is good as long as you know how to use it. What? Oh, way of the water <laughs> it's <true>. warrior. <laughs> it's true. It's true. But we can't all be Scarry from Scardcast and win two GPs with our respective factions right before COVID. Well, can't all do that, Scar. <laughs> no, it's it's just practice. It takes what twenty years of practice. That's that's no. how you do it. <laughs> Every faction needs to be good by any run one run by any amount of experienced player. You got what do we got next on the docket? <laughs> all right, uh, we're going to go and uh, move on to number two, and that's Chaos Demons. So this is actually one that I I am ashamed to say I missed in the last top five i mm. i put death guard in over them because i didn't want too many chaos factions in both chaos knights and death guard however chaos demons are in a really rough spot and there's a very specific reason why i kind of overlooked them and that's because since i started playing more 40k chaos demons were a powerhouse not slanesh demons but chaos demons in general were a powerhouse for so long. You had Fate Weaver, you had Nurglings, mm. Plague Bearers, the Screamer Star. You had the best Psychers in the game, arguably for multiple editions, even better than Eldar and Space Marines. I think the Zeech Psychic Psychers were the best, and are still some of the best Psychers in the game. Uh, you had these cool big giant hero models or big giant uh, greater demon models that were were to varying degrees of okay and good. However, they were just to me, they just look like such a complete faction. They're just, they look so yeah. good. They have, but they, they're not. They are definitely a flawed, outdated faction, and they need a little love. And this is the one I had finding, I found being the hardest to make good because it, they're, they're so, there's so much there that I think that if GW were to overtune something, or just make something about them too strong, they would become instantly one of the most powerful factions. Uh, that's why GW toned down summoning, toned down the unit, the the troop choices, and toned down the psychic, the psychers, because they were so powerful that they had to repeatedly get the nerf bat until they became bad. Yeah, I I think currently Chaos Demons kind of have like a a threefold problem. Um, the first one is one that GW has kind of been working on. They they overcosted the Greater Demons by a comical amount early on. 
Um, and even now, they're still pretty mediocre, sort of because of the second problem, which is that GW thinks a 5-up invuln succeeds about 60% of the time. Um, <laughs> I don't, I, I still don't get it. It's like, they, they'll give this, like, 18-wound monster, like, a 5-up invuln and no other defenses, and it's like, Done. that's just, like, four Laz cannon shots, my friend. Um, so... They need to move away from the paradigm of a 5-up invuln is more than enough to protect you forever. Because when you're T7 or lower, it is not. Uh, they will just, you know, throw a couple autocannons and some bolt guns into you and you'll go down. Yeah. Um, and the third big problem they have is um, that their troop choices are actually fine because they each sort of have a distinct identity and do something different and interesting. Um, but their elite and fast attack and heavy support choices are just the troop choice but riding on something. Um, <laughs> and they don't do anything else useful or different in most cases. Um, seekers are just daemonettes who move faster except not by enough to matter and are more than twice as expensive. And they're um, also losing the infantry keyword. Yes. Um, GW also wildly un undervalues the infantry keyword for some reason. Uh, maybe they just don't own any ruins because they can't afford them. Um, <laughs> but they... So they run into this issue of, like, their little guys are fine... Their non-targetable characters are fine, their big guys are unplayable, their medium guys are unplayable, and suddenly your army consists of the troop choices and nothing else. Um, and they really need to sort of like work on their conceptualization on a lot of those abilities. Um, something that's been pointed out a number of times, and just to kind of finish it up, um, most of their units don't have any abilities, really. Like, they have the generic ability for their thing, but nothing else. Um... And I think that is a big flaw. Like, abilities oh, define agreed. units. Upgrades define units. Demons don't have either. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. The only and, real ability that demons have is their morale check ability, where if they roll a one, models come back. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not a great ability. It's, not... Well, it's... It's. I feel it's poor design because it's unfun for the for both players most of the time. Oh, it's very fun um, for my opponent when he gets three ones in a row and never loses <laughs> below twenty. Right. You know, play and on enough. the flip. And on the flip side, when you were when you're playing with that ability, you will of course roll nothing but sixes, and you spent fifteen points on an upgrade that does nothing, uh, which is also a bad feel. Yeah. Um, so, I, uh, Sean, I think you did a really good job summarizing. Uh, just to kind of add on a little bit more before we move on, uh, where Chaos Demons currently stand, the biggest problem I see with them is they play like they're designed like four separate factions, but each yeah. each faction is bad by itself, standalone, mm -hmm. and they don't have a lot of synergy internally between all four factions as well. Which yeah, it feels like GW. It feels like GW saying like, hey. Uh, we're not going to give any single one of these factions everything. So each faction is an incomplete faction, and they all need each other to cover each other's strengths and weaknesses. However, we're going to make all of their choices basically cookie-cutter copies of each other, with the exception of some minor uh, stat changes, mm -hmm. and ex expect you to find the synergies. Well, and also, you're not allowed to play them with each other. You can't put Zinch and Corn together in the same detachment. 
they don't yeah. want you to. Well, historically, um, that's been the case as well. Like that, you know, even from the second edition Chaos Codex, like you know that there was like certain gods hated each other, so you couldn't really ever put them. Sure, together. but I mean, I mean, Zinch and Corn uh, are not the opposed ones. It's it's Corn and Slanesh mm-hmm. that hate each other. Exactly. Uh, I mean, Corn hates everyone, but yeah, it, it, thematically it makes a kind of sense. But then you run into the problem that that Pablo brought up of these are incomplete factions individually. It's like if you want them to be able to play a pure Zinch army because that is the most thematic and makes sense, you can't because Zinch doesn't do enough to to compete on its own. So one of the things in the fluff that always struck me is that they go to great lengths to suggest that fighting demons, because they're beings of emotion, uh, hitting them with a melee weapon is way better than shooting them with a gun because you have this emotional content behind hitting them with a sword. Um, mm-hmm. And on the tabletop, demons don't have any guns, except for maybe the yeah. skull cannon. <laughs> um, and there are demon engines, but they're all Chaos Space Marine Codex. So yeah. it would be nice if you're going to have a full demons army that doesn't have shooting support at all, if there was a way to mitigate the enemy shooting a little bit and make it less important. And classically, the way you accomplish this was you took dozens of psychers with Brotherhood of Psychers, <laughs> and put them behind your 120 plague bearers and just moved up the board. Because your opponent had minus one, sometimes minus two to hit, and you had a five up, sometimes four up invul with a five up field of pain on all those plague bearers, and untargetable characters behind them smiting the living daylights out of your opponent to totally mitigate their shooting phase because your plague bearers get tied up in melee, they can't even be shot anymore. Which is a feel-bads, honestly, for a lot of players. Yeah. It's very non-interactive. So, yeah, it gets the point across. You're not able to shoot the demons off the board, but there has to be some other way to mitigate the effects of opponents shooting. And maybe that's just more CP abilities just to make demons more resilient to shooting temporarily. So there's the ability where you can spend two CP to make a demon's unit... Um, four up invul during a phase that's great yeah. that's that's very good um it's very well balanced but if there was an additional ability for maybe it's linked to certain chaos gods or certain units where if they're close enough to the enemy your opponent may, finds it more difficult just for that phase to shoot them off the board i think that could help demons be a pure faction and mitigate some of the shooting and maybe you just tie it to um, in order to unlock this, um, you have to have some restriction where you're almost entirely demons or entirely demons. I don't know. Because, for example, s- uh, certain factions like Marines and Sisters of Battle have, oh, does your army only include one Space Marine chapter? Here are some benefits. And mm-hmm. one of the ones for Sisters, for example, is we deny psychic powers with plus three. Um, so Sisters then roll D6 plus three for their denies, which is... You took an entire army with no access to psychers. Here, because you did that, we're going to give you this ability so that you can still shut down enemy psychers sometimes. You haven't just yeah. kneecapped yourself. So a similar ability for a pure demons force to mitigate enemy shooting would be pretty great. Honestly, some sort of like royal of chaos ability. If all you have is chaos demons in your army, you know, your mono faction like that. Your enemy has minus one to hit with shooting because of, I don't know, like the warp and stuff and like the world is turning into... And it could be the Raven Guard ability, so it could be minus one to sure, hit from more sure. than 18 inches away. 
yeah, there's there's all kinds of ways you can kind of like balance that to make sure it is not too overwhelming, but some sort of faction-wide ability like that I think makes sense to reflect like chaos demons turn the whole world wacky and you gotta deal with that and don't make it a random table. Please, for the love of God, don't make it a random table. Well, they did for <laughs> sisters where you roll and you get two abilities or you just pick one. I think doing yeah. the same thing for demons and representing them reshaping reality to suit their own whims is a yeah, really cool great. way to introduce some of those mechanics that demons suffer from, like mitigating enemy shooting. Right. Yeah, I, I think... So So if you look at Age of Sigmar, Age of Sigmar has a lot of, albeit overpowered, but unique ways to get over or, or uh, to defend units. Something other than this, the five-up invuln save that Sean talked about, which I think he hit spot on, and that, mm. you know, the five-up five, five invuln save to GW is like the end-all be-all. That's the, <laughs> the most demon-y trait you can give that a demon is a five-up invuln, and that's what they do. Uh, to all the Everything that's a demon engine, they have five-up invulns as well. I, I think there's game design a room for more unique defensive traits uh i look at like marathi from age of sigmar she's a really cool model and that she has seven wounds i think but she can only ever lose more than she can't lose more than three wounds in a kind of like turn, what gaz got or single phase yeah yeah exactly like what gaz got what uh gotrick although gotrick's op as hell in age of sigmar the point is is that there's different things that gw can do that can maybe make those units a little more viable so maybe give them their five up in because you, they should have a save but if you made it so that greater and clean ones never maybe they, they can't take more than three damage from a single attack ever right so yeah. it, it, it's all you're always guaranteed to you have to hit this unit a certain amount of times instead of killing it by rolling two lucky last cannons right um just kind of something that gives demons a little more consistency with their defenses that isn't too overpowered, but is more consistent than a five up invuln, you know, is. And and I get the reason why the five up invuln is designed the way it is. And that's because when you shoot like a, a pink horror or a blood letter, because they're a demon, and they flicker. Sometimes you can shoot them with the most powerful weapon and they still survive. Well, which is Pablo, cool. that could be a mechanic. Um, you can make it so that shooting attacks only have some sort of damage reducing effect if you're a pure demon's army. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that could, could work, work too. too. Yeah, like minus one damage from. There's also the ability to, you know, like spirifics and like hallucinations and stuff, you know, and, and doing yeah. some sort of thing that makes like enemy units, you know, like be affected, like demonets, you know, when, when demonets are attacking the guard, like guardsmen they're like oh they're so pretty and then they're like mesmerized and all of a sudden they all get eaten you know it's yeah they've actually done a bunch of that it's just all close combat stuff yeah to be cool as as they get into combat that the guys are like what what's what's that doesn't make any sense you know that sort of thing so yeah well one of them that i don't think they've used very much but and could really do a lot more with is like bypassing overwatch Mm. um because that's another big milestone for a lot of it. it's like oh i finally got the enemy i declare a charge and it's like okay we'll take 76 flamer hits all right okay uh i guess i don't make a charge yeah yeah that could be another thing that like for example uh the slanesh demon world could be uh, a leadership test is required on two dice to shoot at not the closest enemy unit 
and mm -hmm. a leadership test is required to perform Overwatch. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Something. Well, something. Honestly, I like the idea of that. Um, that that uh, table we were talking about. That's either pick one or roll two. Um, having ones themed to each of the gods that could be very cool. Um, yeah. You know, you've already got your your sort of like you know the the you know four gods and then chaos undivided and then a wacky one. Yeah. Um. Ultimately, I actually think that chaos demons. In conclusion. I guess because we do need to move on. Uh, Chaos Demons, I think, are probably one of the most outdated factions right now. Oh, if you look yeah. at their updates, all their updates have been almost always on the Chaos Space Marine side. Um, yeah. They've, you, they've gotten basically nothing, and they still look like, like they're playing a 5th edition army. Yes. Uh, with the exception of Slanesh. Slanesh actually got some cool stuff. And for a, one, for a brief shining moment, Slanesh models were being used on the tabletop unironically. And that's the the Siceleske, the the um whatever that that gateway thing is that people used. The anyways, yeah. Point is that there were there were the epitome, the contorted epitome. Anyway, yeah. so and when they gave Slanesh that update, people started using them. So so some tweaks to the models to make the not troops more interesting, combined with mm -hmm. blasphemous rights to make it so that when you take pure demons, they're better to come overcome some of their deficiencies. I think they'd be in a great spot. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, and please, dear God, don't give them more Invuln stuff or better psychic powers. <laughs> That's anyways. All right. And then finally, let's go ahead and talk about the number one faction. And this is actually a faction that has been meme-worthy and awful for as long as I've been playing the game. For as long as I think Skari has been playing the game. Yep. And that is Black Templar. <gasps> what are you talking about? I'm so sad about Black Templars and their fall from 3rd edition. How are they even <laughs> on this list? <laughs> I, I like how we're talking about Black Templars as though they're a faction. Mm. They're a sub-faction of a sub-faction. I'm sorry, there's probably as many Black Templars as almost all the other Space Marine chapters combined. combined. They're uh -huh. everywhere. They, they, also have, they also have three unique characters, named characters, which no one talks about. Um, at all. Um, they, that's because so, they're not interested. Wield the that's Emperor's true. faith as a torch with it. Destroy <laughs> the shadows, brothers. So so Black Templar are, are a very sad case of an army that GW forces to have. They're forcing an identity on this army and they're designing the units around that identity in a different direction. What I mean by that is, is GW always pushes melee on space brains like this captain mm. we're gonna give him a power sword and it's gonna be free <laughs> <laughs> this captain he's he's a god and, and we're gonna make you pay extra for his melee components so much so that we're gonna give a third of all the available relics that this space marine captain has they're gonna be melee weapons and they're all gonna be power swords. see pablo that's why i was so happy about phobos captains with sniper rifles yeah, they, <laughs> thank you. They, that's and, and this here's the other thing too, right? Is characters in general with weapons are not great. They, with uh, shooting or melee weapons in general are not great. You don't take characters for their weapons almost ninety percent of the time. The only well, exception in space I mean, marines cases. That is often because GW's idea of a strong melee weapon is strength four, AP two, damage one. Yes. So, I, you know, that's kind of a stumbling block. 
and the other thing too, and and Jibu's actually changed this for the better. I think in, in the Space Marine Codex, maybe not for the better, but they've definitely changed this for the longest time. Space Marines had one attack, maybe two, if you're feeling spicy and you wanted to give them a chainsword. Um, but they had one attack, one wound, and were just you just preferred to shoot them or, or do something else with them. And Black Templar had to take that one attack that was given to basically every Space Marine and had to do the most with that one attack given to them, whereas other dedicated close combat armies had multiple attacks. Now, they did get better about that. Intercessors do have two attacks, three on the charge. Chainsword Intercessors get four attacks on the charge, which is which is cool. You, I mean, you made... that's the whole point of Primaris Marines, is to right. bring the Marine stat line up to date. <laughs> but but so, so here's the next issue I have with Black Templars, because I thought that they were going to get better, but they didn't. And that's because I didn't foresee people taking all the other space marine factions and then just doing well with close combat and not even needing the black templars they're like okay listen we could make these guys hit a little bit better but they've already got 40 attacks each on the charge so we're just going to go ahead and give them the uh you know an iron the ability to reroll ones and shoot uh <laughs> or we're going to give them the ability to have an extra doctrine or whatever right because gw GW, I just see. I don't here's know. the okay. thing. So, so there's two other okay, Space ahead, Marine yeah. chapters that are already super melee focused. You have the Space Wolves yes. and you have the Blood Angels, and each of them has their own shtick that make them really good. Like Blood Angels are, we just wound you really well in the first yes. round, and then Space Wolves, I don't even remember, but I just remember <laughs> yeah, them tearing me to shreds. Rather than plus one to wound. <laughs> okay, plus yeah. one to hit. Yeah, both yeah. of them are just going to rip you apart better than the other Marines once they get to you. So what is it that Black Templars have to offer? And right now, Blood Angels and Space Wolves both rip you apart better, which is fine. But I feel like Black Templars need their own thing that sets them apart from everyone else. And for those who aren't aware, back in 3rd edition, Black Templars were the Marines. Like, everyone hated Black Templars because back in the day, rather than removing models as casualties from morale, if you failed a morale check, your models would have to run away from the closest enemy unit. And if they ran far enough and left the table, they were just pulled as casualties. So Black Templars didn't do that. If Black Templars failed a morale check, they ran towards the nearest enemy unit. And then if they engaged <laughs> you, they counted as charging. And no Overwatch. Yeah. Yeah, well, back in the day, there was, there was no Overwatch, but yes. Oh my gosh. Alright, so Skari, Skari is actually our resident on the podcast Black Templar player. Skari, what are your thoughts on the faction as a whole? And then first shot, what do we do to fix them? The faction as a whole is essentially Space Marines with a little bit of different flavor. I think their Psychic Awakening really added a lot to them. Um, you know, they really feel like after playing them, they feel a lot more like Black Templars. You know, being able to take some really cool stratagems that are really relevant to the to the way the game plays currently um i do think however that uh they just they they're kind of like they they always kind of lack just a little bit and you kind of feel just a little bit left out and some of the cool stuff that space marines can do uh what can we do to change them though is that we if we're on that already mm -hmm. i think yeah i think you should really sort of first of all give them their own codex again you know what is this just putting them <laughs> as a side note in the space marine codex we we are really lacking in Space Marine Codexes. There's only like nine uh, of them right now. Let's add some more. Yes, there's there's no reason why there should not be more 
Black Templar Codex. There are so many Black Templar players. There, are, there's, there, we're everywhere, just everywhere. It's true. So it's true. the fact that that, you know, I I just feel like that's one number one thing. Secondly, you know, th- things like I, at the same time, like the Land Raider Crusader used to be a Black Templar only thing, for example. Mm. And I think that you know. Black Templar should get everything with Hurricane Bolters. Like, Hurricane <laughs> Bolters on everything that they can, essentially. Um, and and everything from Rhinos with a Hurricane Bolter to, um, you know, other Dreadnoughts with, like, double Hurricane Bolters. Like, I just feel like that would be, that would be the way to do it. Changed my mind. See, the thing I would add is a throwback to 3rd Edition. And what I was thinking is, you can't fail morale and run forward anymore. That doesn't work. But what if, um, if you lose any models during Overwatch, you get some bonus to your charge distance? Like instead of two d six, you roll three. Don't they already have? They that? have reroll charges. Any dice on the charge roll? Well, no, I thought they had a like. If you lose any models this phase, no. get a bonus. No. If you, I think it's if you have like neophytes or something that have lost like some stuff. I think it's a psychic awakening. But as you can tell, yeah. it's so important to us that we totally remembered what it is. Yeah, Do people still take neophytes. Um, it's, no. a, it's <laughs> not really. It's a cheap way of you know getting the. It's a cheap way of getting the, the um. I mean, just. Primaris and Cursors are already so great. I don't know why you wouldn't take those. Yeah. What they should do is they should have an updated Crusade squad where you have uh, Primaris Intercessors and then the Tactical Marines are the baby Marines being <sighs> escorted Oh by man, that is some you're heresy. making so many people so angry right <laughs> now some, and I love it. It's a grade A heresy. <laughs> uh, uh, joking aside, I, I think... If I were to start with the fixing the faction um, and maybe even making them their own codex, I would definitely start with their unique uh, unit choices. And the first two options I'd look at are their, you know, their troop choice and uh, specifically the the Emperor's Champion, because that is still one of the coolest models. People still talk about that model. Like in awe, they're like, "Oh man, Black Templar sucks," but that Emperor's Champion model, so amazing. The Emperor's Champion the is it's really a cool, cool model. I have the old one with the double-handed sword. The my sword is bigger than your sword, Emperor's Champion. <laughs> but think about this: what is it that's going to make Black Templars different from Blood Angels and Space Wolves? And I, uh, the thing that I keep coming back to is they want to get to grips with you harder than anyone else. So give them more abilities to have reliable charge distances, bonus moves if there are enemies nearby or if they take casualties, whatever it is. Just make them the ones that you don't want to face because they're going to get to grips with you better than anyone else. Other than I, maybe Raven Guard who just show up next to you. I think another thing that it would be cool to showcase is the fact that the Black Templars, you know, very much about like the like the God Emperor rather than just like the Emperor of Mankind. Yeah, they're the only religious space marines. Right. So having some sort of some something that sort of like builds on that or, or kinda, you know, some element I, of that I, would be good. Emphasizing chaplains could work there, uh, giving them some more stuff in that department. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, they should have like the best chaplains in the Imperium. Yeah. 
I don't think they get anything for their chaplains currently. Um, one one thing that might be kind of cool is maybe an elite unit that is like chaplain, like a unit made up of chaplains. So obviously not chaplain chaplains themselves. Um, but if you look at like the Sanguinor and the Sanguinary Guard, they're very much derivative of each other, or the Sanguinary Guard is derivative of the Sanguinor. Um, so an elite choice that is essentially like a chaplain, maybe they have their own personal litany that you use on themselves or a unit within six or whatever. Um, and then just give them a cool chaplain aesthetic. Give them the skulls and the black armor. Um, you know, I, I think Black Temple are actually a couple unique units away from being a full-fledged... Oh, yeah. Like, if they had a is... unique mobile mobility enhancing litany... Um, even if you had to move towards the closest enemy, I think that would be a great way to make the chaplain unique for Black Templars. Mm-hmm. It, they're honestly not even that bad right now. It's just other Space Marines are better. Uh, you know, they're pretty easily head and shoulders above most of the other factions we've talked about this time. They just don't have a very distinct identity. Scar, you had something you wanted to say? Yeah, in terms of mobility and whatnot, you know... Um... The whole bring back the whole full back forward thing. Maybe when they lose models, they get faster in the movement phase, or you know something like that. Maybe it's tied to a litany. If my litany goes off, a six-inch aura of if you shoot this unit, they will move towards you. I kind of like that idea. Yeah, yeah that could um, actually be pretty cool. I like the idea really of tying it to the litany because then it's not just like a free army-wide benefit you're getting. Yeah, uh, maybe giving the whole army heroic intervention too. Oh, that is scary. I heroic mean, intervention is really powerful. Super powerful. Giving I it mean, to everyone. It. I like the idea, though, because everyone wants to get to grips with you. They are. Well, making it a, a stratagem so it's, you know, everyone can do it, but only one unit will be able to do it, Still, I think yeah. might be a lot more Very valuable. fluffy, and it sets them apart from other Marines, because you have to treat those Primaris Intercessor squads with respect. You can't get close to them. Yeah, more access to heroic interventions. Maybe not army-wide heroic intervention, but like two units that can heroically intervene that are that are 10 man units so you get you know a little more foot uh uh whatever you call it when you space um on the board you can do some more board control and then maybe like a character that does like a six inch or intervention bubble like what uh securius does yeah there's characters mm-hmm. that do that anyways um that's it i i think I think that is uh, good. I think if we implemented all these changes for all five factions, they would certainly be in a better position. Of course, you can always just lower the points down to But where's the fun in that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That wouldn't um, be fun at all. Let us know what you all think in the comments. Uh, you were all very opinionated with the last the last episode on this topic, and I really enjoyed reading all those comments. There was over 100 comments on YouTube, uh, a bunch of comments on, on Frontline and on Facebook and everywhere else. So just um, let us know what you think. What are some creative game design moves that you, can, that you would make to fix your favorite faction or to make a part of your favorite faction better? It doesn't have to be any of the five that we listed here. It could be any faction. Um, I think one of the coolest things about warmer 40k is it's such a broad game there's so much rules design or there's so much room for rules design growth and uh unique changes that i think gw always uses um i don't think they're using their design space uh efficiently i think there's definitely room there um then again i don't know uh they definitely would do a better job than i would do um so let's go ahead and move on to the end of the episode and that is the patron questions. So at the end of every episode, we do like to open the floor up to our patrons uh, of the podcast. 
they get to ask us questions that we answer live at the end of every episode. If you'd like to support the podcast, be eligible to win cool prizes and raffles, and join all those multiple of communities on Facebook and on Discord and Patreon, head on over to patreon.com slash chapter tactics. Uh, right now we have a unique uh, interview with Reese, a playtester of 9th edition, where we just talk about 9th edition, frankly. I ask him what his favorite aspects of the edition are, what it's like to playtest and design a new edition for GW, what their focuses were when they were designing the mission, the game, 9th edition in general, and so forth. It was a really good episode, and patrons get exclusive early access to that episode. All right, let's get to those patron questions. Uh, I do apologize. Last week, we missed the patron questions. Um, so this week we're going to be answering those plus extras. All right. First and foremost, Dan wants to know why does Reese secretly want Tau to be the best army? Sean can answer that. Oh, uh, it's so he can make a million dollars. He actually has invested heavily into Tau stock on the down low. Uh, read all about it at Infowars.com. Uh, I know you can't see me, but I'm sarcastically pointing in Sean's general direction. <laughs> that is spot on. Next question uh, from patron Aiden. Will 9th edition missions reward slash compensate going second um, as became fundamental to the ITC? So this is a question actually for um, Reese that uh, someone put. Um, I can answer that. But yeah, go ahead, Brandon. So 9th edition has already announced that there's going to be more ways to play with how you deploy models, which in theory should mean that if you're going second you should be able to only leave stuff on the board if you've built your list correctly that is far away from your opponent, behind line-of-sight blocking terrain, or it's not on the table. And that should make going second far uh, easier to not just have an overwhelming advantage for the player who goes first on the kill count right off the bat. It also looks like there's a lot of scoring-based shenanigans going on in ninth, which is also going to heavily emphasize going second, I think. All right. Next question comes from patron Kelsey. Uh, with a new rule set on the way, what fundamentals can we as players work on while we wait? This is actually a really good question. Uh, Pre-measuring. Uh, uh, what I mean by that well, is before you perform an, an action... Measure out what your opponent's response is going to be. So if your opponent has a really fast melee unit, figure out before you even put models on the board what its 90% fail rate is at what distance. And be like, okay, they can go 25 inches less than 10% of the time. I need to be just out of that range. And then you, during your movement phase, pre-measure that. Tell your opponent, I am 25.1 inches away from you, and they agree with you, and then you continue your turn. I cannot tell you mm -hmm. how much pain that will save you later in the game when you're like, oh, I was 18 inches away from that? Crap. Yeah. That is a super useful skill that will be good in every edition of the game going forward from here. Really, measuring and moving in general is going to be applicable pretty much always. Um. Uh, so, patron Jason wants to know, it seems like the detachment changes are punishing even mono codex soup. Orcs not being able to take more than one clan culture, guards not being able to take multiple regiments, etc., etc., with, um, without buying detachments. Um, so, what's with all the mono codex soup hate? So, what he means by that is when you soup, but within a mono codex or internal. I don't see the problem, especially if they continue putting out more of the sacred rites or mono chapter benefits so that if you do mono regiment or mono chapter, you get an additional bonus. Um, 
that all seems really cool to me um because it is limiting when you don't have literally every tool in the toolbox so having a bonus for not doing that is great i think here's i think you oh, should ahead, be rewarded like story-wise it's cool or like strategically it's cool to have a whole bunch of different things however it, it is it is really it does look cool when you have like a single army that you've kind of like created to kind of like play by itself yeah, they they want to reward players for sticking to more thematic armies, um, and they do that by forcing you to pay a cost for additional options. I don't think that's unfair. Uh, the, the the status quo we've had so far, where you can just take any number of things and pay essentially no cost, is actually kind of a or problem. Or take a oil 32 and just smack it into your Space Marine army and get more command points for doing it. Uh, yeah. Here's something I kind of want to see. Um, I want to see them move to a status quo of single faction armies. So like Salamanders and Ultramarines, um, you know, whatever, right? Just a single faction army. Uh, make that the status quo, status quo, the obvious best way to build. And then slowly integrate very specific um, ally kind of like formations or faction um, ally kind of synergies um, via like campaign books, right? So like, for example... Um, you might have like a blood angels and guard kind of formation that uses underwhelming units from both of those factions, but when you use them together, they get one very minor specific synergy, giving you a reason to bring them both together. Uh, something like that. That's what I'd like to see. But anyways, uh, moving on to patron Brian, assuming the app is everything you want it to be, how much would you pay for that? And how much do you think GW will charge for? I'd pay like... 10 bucks a month subscription easily yeah that's fair they i imagine it would be more than that it would probably be like 15 or 20 uh if, if i were to guess I that's think, not necessarily what i, I think want it to be, be but scary with the positivity um yeah i mean you know i could definitely see that being free i, see, I could see the army list builder being free but the yes. codexes internally within the app being an in-app purchase which would be kind of weird. That is kind of my expectation. I think I think the army builder, it'll let you, you know, take units and put weapons on them and all that for free. It won't display all the rules and stat lines and that stuff for free. You have to pay for that. Here's what it'll do. It'll let you build an army, but it'll only give you the power level of the army, not Oof. the point. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking um, the Age of Sigmar, um, the Age of Sigmar app is free. And then everything you do yep. through it is like you buy it. Um, yeah. You know, so you buy stuff in the app. I th I honestly feel like like the app itself will be free. Nice. That's kind of my expectation as well. Yeah. Uh, ben, Page Ben wants to know: Given GW's stated intent to decrease game size, do you foresee an increase in the strength of skew lists? Possibly. I mean, if yeah. everyone's being disincentivized to take 200 orcs, and then someone takes 200 orcs, um, <laughs> you know, all those plasma cannons aren't really going to do much against them. Yeah, I I find that smaller game size does not necessarily make skew lists stronger. Um, because it, it means that they can potentially be stronger in some situations, but it also means that they will struggle even harder in situations that don't favor them, um, which can actually make it quite a bit harder for them to win games. Yeah, like if they end up versus a 
you know, a couple Punisher, Lehman, Russ that can shoot into melee, then uh, that orc horde's yeah. in trouble. Um, so patron Tim wants to know, with the ITC season most likely ended because of COVID, uh, are there any goals that the hosts have for their ITC ranking in the near future? Um, or are you all about having fun now? I'm not even getting games in these days, and I probably <laughs> won't for another three to six months, unfortunately. It, it's like a double so, whammy. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's like, GW was like, okay, listen, we're gonna release this new edition, and there's no and there's no tournaments going on, so it's like, why <laughs> would you play a tournament game at all? Like, I, I'm, I'm gonna blame this whole thing on GW. They planned this for the COVID outbreak, because they knew, like, oh, the players can't ruin our cool game if there's no tournaments. <laughs> um... But seriously, though, stay safe out there, everyone. Uh, and then patron Jason wants to know, with Forge World Rules being handled by GW Rules, guys, finally, although that was that's not that's actually something that was, they were doing last year. Um, the GW Rules team took over for Forge World. Uh, they yeah, said but they that, didn't like, release anything, so that, it almost didn't matter. <laughs> that's true. They didn't release anything. Um, so any ideas about the Forge World chapters, the Red Scorpions, the Karakarodons, etc., getting specific chapter rules, or what, what do you think is going to happen there? Yeah, they'll probably just end up with the build-your-own-chapter rules, same as before. Yeah. Um, but I think we can look forward to Forge World rules in general, and the Forge World chapters and whatnot being better integrated into the game. I, I think what's going to happen is uh, GW is going to say, sorry, Forge World, um, we're kicking off all, we're just squatting everything that doesn't have models, and they might even squat some of the stuff that does have models. Uh, and then mm. just integrate all of those uh, unique Forge World units, like the um, not the Apocalypse ones, because I think that'll still be its own separate thing. But um, like the the Leviathan Dreadnoughts and the the Codex specific units, and they're just gonna put them in the next Codex. They're just like, you know what? We're just gonna throw Leviathan Dreadnoughts in in the next Space Marine Codex. Like at this point, who cares, right? Like, or maybe just put them in the app. You know, they'll probably be in the app because that's how you build armies, presumably. But um, I think GW wants to keep Forge World as the premium level of product. Um, so I don't I don't think they're going to undo that. What they'll do is they'll take sort of like the general concepts that they've worked on right now. But what they they'll they'll balance them to what the game's supposed to be balanced is having like two different design teams. They'll sort of do the probably similar things to what we know them doing, except mm -hmm. they'll sort of like make more sense within the context of the current game. Yeah, because that's been Forge World's problems is this is just it's totally out of place in the rest of the game's design aesthetic. Right. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Uh, next patron question comes from uh, patron Derek. Uh, Having not been able to play competitive so, for so long, how hard is it to get motivated to play 8th at events as they start happening with a new edition on the horizon? Very hard. It's it can be very mm -hmm. hard if you're not if if you don't like just you, your mentality. You just kind of have to like stick to it. You have to have like a stickativity. I'm definitely getting a lot more games in on tabletop simulator and theory crafting. Like, uh, I'll say, after our last bottom five episode, we had one of our Patreon members say, Dark Angels aren't really that bad. Here's my list. I'm destroying everyone in my local community. And 
I actually got to play him on TTS and see how good his list was. It was actually really scary. Mm-hmm. So we had a great game. <laughs> but um, yeah, get whatever games you can as safely as you can. All right. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, finally, actually, this one is not really a question, just a joke. Um, so that is it, everyone. Thank you so much for the to the patrons for posting those questions up. Uh, and of course, if you want to ask those questions, you can sign up the Patreon. That is the episode. If you would like to hear more from any of the co-hosts, Scarry, where can they find you? You can find me on Facebook at Scardcast, uh, YouTube, and or The Art of War, where I'm one of the coaches there. Mm. Uh, and then Sean and Brandon, do you have any plugs either of you would like to shout out? Uh, mostly just uh, doing my thing on the, the Frontline website still, doing my articles there. Sometimes serious, sometimes not. Mm. Well, um, for me, I had a project in the work uh, for 40k. Ninth edition has kind of thrown a wrench in it. I still hope to have an announcement soon, but uh, otherwise, I still have a private Facebook group discussing guard tactics, and it's got some great people in there. So, if you're hoping to learn more about guard, just hit me up on Facebook, and I'll add you. Right on. Uh, okay everyone thank you so much for listening you are all the best listeners in the world don't forget to add me on facebook so we can play total war warhammer 2 together i've been having a blast playing with friends online if you'd like to do that hit me up and as always have a good one